Cool. So we're going to dive into this. So like a big part of our like podcasting journey has been again, related to Emily's story. She's you're a year and a half out of Mizzou. Like you're just graduated college. Yeah. Um, so like before we kind of dive in, into questions, like, I mean, everyone here is either in their twenties or been in their twenties before. Right. So it's like, we all can be like, yeah, hey, I remember that. Right. Um, it's a little harder. <laughs> Yeah. Almost, sorry. Um, so, like, we were talking a little bit beforehand, like, the idea of the that age space in deconstruction, I think, interesting to think about, right? Because I don't know if you guys have had this experience before, but, like, I, again, like, my, I think about my twin brother, like, I didn't blow up a lot of things, but I began to question um, a lot of things around, like, church and organizational stuff, I started to like be like, I'm not sure if I dig on this. Like, I started to deconstruct some of that stuff. Um, you you had your sort of stuff as well, and you can share. I mean, I don't know how many yeah. people know your story, so you can share a little bit about like what got you there. But like, when you think about your experience as it relates to deconstruction in your your 20s through college, all that kind of stuff, mm -hmm. like, what was that like, and what do you see the connection like in that? Yeah. So I was. I mean, I was reflecting on my college experience my college experience, as if it was like so long ago. <laughs> like I literally just graduated. Um, I guess technically it hasn't even been a year. I graduated in May, so. Yeah. Um, but I was reflecting on my college experience, especially how it relates to deconstruction, because I feel like I lived both college lives. Like I lived the hyper-religious, this is all I care about. This is all I do. Read my Bible in public so that someone will ask me about the Lord. Like, <laughs> like my freshman and sophomore year and junior year. I mean, yeah. I mean, junior year was like COVID, so kind of interesting. But I don't want to stop you. Well, I do want to stop you a little bit. But I think it'd be helpful for people to understand the full context of who you are to tell them about your Excel sheet about theological terms that you're working through with your friends with the color-coded document? Just so people know like how, <laughs> where you fell on the religious spectrum. Yeah, so I, my very first week of college, I was like, I, and I know what campus ministry I'm joining because they align with me theologically. Like, this is who I am, this is what I believe. And my friends and I had Theology Thursdays. <laughs> where, yeah, I know, <laughs> I get it. Um, but we would, just like, we had a Google Doc and we would write different like ideas and thoughts we would have about theology and then we would talk about them and highlight them different colors so green was like okay now i feel like i understand yellow was like not quite sure still wrestling pink was like oh my gosh what the heck i'm very confused we need outside help purple was like i think we know as much as we will know on this side of eternity so that was like how I spent my college days. Like I was, I mean, super into it. It's like all I cared about if, I mean, I remember being in class <laughs> and pulling out my Bible. I mean, I didn't just like whip it out. Like it was under <laughs> something I needed to get like my computer or something. I don't know. And my Bible was like on top of my backpack. And this girl behind me goes, wow, looks like you really like that book. And I was like, yeah, it's my Bible. And she did not speak to me the rest of the semester. 
Which I mean, like, is its own different conversation about how people view Christianity and how it's been weaponized against people, all that. Um, but I definitely for like most of college lived the like hyper religious life. Like I went to Mizzou, University of Missouri. I don't know how much you know about that. It's definitely a party school. And so when I told people I was going to Mizzou, everyone was like, oh, homegirl is like just completely throwing away her faith and like caring about living that out. And I was like, no, I'm like totally a still a super Christian. Like I was like a religious gold girl, like golden girl, golden child was still that in college. However, college was also a time where I, it was the first time that I had ever heard different perspectives. And that sounds extreme, but like I went to Christian schooling, like all throughout um, elementary and high school. So it really was like to go to Mizzou and my first semester I had a religious studies class where like it just broadened my mind. And obviously at the time I was like, this is like spiritual warfare, you know, like to hear different thoughts. But in reality, it was really helpful and I'm thankful like to hear other perspectives. But then I would also say that I went to like the complete other extreme my senior year. Yeah, we're just gonna be real. <laughs> I was like, I stopped going to church, was just really angry at God and angry at the church. And just like, honestly, just like dove into the party scene. I became a comedian. And so that kind of helps you get into the party scene. Um, but I would like, <laughs> my friend and I would go out on Saturday nights, like get super drunk. And I would just yell at the bar, this is so much more fun than church. <laughs> like I was processing and going through some stuff. <laughs> but, you sound like you handled it really well. So. Yeah, really, really helpfully. <laughs> My friend was like, can you just stop saying that? <laughs> she, was like, she was like, clearly you're still thinking about church a lot. And I was like, yeah, I don't want to talk about it right now. <laughs> um, but I've just been thinking about that and that I feel like I've, I live both extremes. Sure. And so I, like, I know there's like such a safety of being super religious in college and just being like, this is who I am. I'm not engaging with anything else because yeah, it's like safer, but you also like, you never get out of your shell. You, you can totally stay in your shell even in college, but then on the other extreme, you can feel super lost. Yeah. So one thing I think is interesting is like we often talk about like high school Emily, college Emily, yeah. and like now Emily, right? And so uh -huh. one thing, and I think we've talked about this before in our conversation on the podcast, but like you obviously, like you haven't reached some, uh, you haven't reached the purple side of your Excel sheet where you can know everything you can on this side of eternity, right? But you've grown and evolved and thought and all that kind of stuff. And so like this isn't like a shaming or prescriptive thing, but when you look back at what you know now about your deconstruction journey, and even before you knew you were doing that, like what would you have, what would you like to tell yourself now? Like what would Emily now have told Emily in college and high school, like to look mm -hmm. back in that? That's a good question because I'm not like, I'm not sure I would have changed anything. Like I will say a lot of the hurt that I experienced from religious spaces was from my campus ministry. And that's not from everyone's experience, but like that was very hard. Sure. And it does sometimes like, it is sometimes sad to think about that. What would I tell myself? I mean, I would tell high school Emily, like you're making the right choice. I almost went to just like a super, I almost went to the college of my denomination. I was raised Presbyterian. 
and I was going to go to a Presbyterian college and I was like, yeah, Presbyterian or die. Like, <laughs> but I, I toured that college and I remember, I remember saying, I was like, I don't want to be in a place for four years with a bunch of people I agree with. Like there's something so special and beautiful about hearing other perspectives. And so what I would say to high school Emily making that decision, like, hell yeah, girl, you know, <laughs> like good idea. I think college Emily, I think I would tell her like, find the space that is safe to you. And if that is the religious space, then great. But don't like, I just shut everything out right away. Like I was like, this is the truth. And anything else that I'm hearing is like spiritual warfare or just the dumbest thing I've ever heard. And it's just like, I just wish that I would have entered into college with a much more open mind and willing to hear other perspectives. Yeah, like just like actually listen and not be like, this is the truth, but I'll listen to you. You know, like listen with the willingness to have your mind changed. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's interesting. I like. I also think what I find to be really intriguing is for someone that grew up not allowed to ask a lot of questions mm -hmm. you like ask some of the most informed and smart questions and I, I actually think like I don't know if you guys like grew up in religious spaces where questions were allowed to be asked uh, like I know I did not um, I didn't I didn't grow up uh, United Methodist which is my group now but I didn't grow up in a space where questions were seen as uh, beneficial to the Christian experience mm -hmm. And so for someone like you that, so to, for myself, I think I took me a long time to learn how to ask good questions mm. because I wasn't taught how to do that uh, in my religious experience. But it seems like for you, you figure that out really well. And so I think when I think about the idea of deconstruction, like some people really point to like, it's, you got to get it done with, or you got to get it like, you got to push through, you got to, we talked about this really on like deconstruction is really just a means to eventual reconstruction. Mm. And I think that could, that could be true. I think uh, my, my greatest hope for anyone that has de demolished or deconstructed or removed, like I want you to, like I find value in Jesus, right? So I'm a part of this thing because I find him to be really valuable. But I think what I found to be really cool about your journey, and I don't know if anyone else would connect with this in their own journey, like I think the ability to ask really honest questions is perhaps the most life-giving part of it because when we, episode number one to 40, the things that are, our conversation was hilariously different. Uh, <laughs> like Emily said what she thought I wanted her to say. She asked questions that weren't really questions. They were just like, hey, Danny, can you tell me? Essentially, like the first 10 episodes were like really great about padding my ego as a pastor. It's like the smartest person in the room. She's like, man, you're crushing it, Danny. And, and now you're like, well, I think that's BS or like, I don't like that. And I was like, that's like, I think that's what faith at its best can be mm. is push. And I think that's what Jesus did. I think. The disciples Absolutely. push back and like uh, I wouldn't I think you're pretty sweet but I wouldn't put you on par with Jesus but I do think like you're asking questions in that vein <laughs> I think that's an important part of of the faith journey like whether you put it in deconstruction camp or not but I think it's helping your deconstruction even though it feels sometimes like you're in the middle of it and you right. can't see where you came from or where you're going but I do think asking questions has only propelled you to healthier levels even if it feels like you're kind of in the midst of it. I mean, I completely agree. Like, I think I think questions are so important. I, I'm a teacher now, and I remember being in class, and my least favorite thing ever is when I would raise my hand, and a teacher would be like, not right now, like, put your hand down. I would be like, I thought that was your job. <laughs> like, it was, I never do that to my students. I get, I'm like, I will answer your question in the moment. And so questions always mattered to me, but I didn't always feel allowed in the church space. But I, that's why I think, like, our theology of questions 
is so important. I read this book on like a theology of questions and it was, it's called The End of Our Exploring. It's beautiful. And he talks about like the first question in the Bible is actually from Satan. Like he says, he says, does, did God really say to not eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil? So like the beginning of questioning kind of messes with our head and messes with what we, like what did God actually say? But then the next question, the next question is God redeeming questions. And he comes in after Adam and Eve have eaten the fruit and he says, where are you? He, he totally knows where they are. But God redeems questions in that moment as like questions as a way of pursuing someone relationally. And I think that is like what, what you've said, like how you said that deconstruction is a means of discipleship, like at its best. And what God and I, I mean, God and Jesus, like we don't have to get in. I mean, Trinity, whatever. But Let's do it. <laughs> um, but like what we see God doing, what we also see Jesus doing is like asking questions to pursue people and to pursue relationship. Like Jesus asked the woman at the well, like, I mean, I guess he just tells her about her life. <laughs> it doesn't matter. But like, that's what, like, I think our theology of questions matter is not something that brings us away from God, but it's something that helps us pursue him. Hmm. Yeah, I, I would wholeheartedly agree with that. And so uh, in the world's slickest segue, I think this is a good time to take questions. Uh, I didn't even realize that. I've been doing this a while. <laughs> um, so like for anyone like out there, like, uh, like, I get, there's no, I mean, you could start anywhere, but like, does anyone have like, I mean, it could be a question, a theological question, deconstruction question, question for Emily or myself or anyone, but like, does anyone have any like questions just to start? Yeah, please. Uh, take the mic too, just so we can have it. Okay, so I've heard before like the stories of like the Old Testament are like, could possibly not be true. And like the story of creation in general, like what are your thoughts on like, are Adam and Eve actually real people or do you think that not, like was the flood a real thing? Was it not? Like I don't know. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah. Can I go first? Um, sure. I mean, I think I think that's a great question, and it's one that I like wrestled with for a while because I do think sometimes in our religious upbringing, it's made to be a really big deal. Like, is it literal or not? And I, I guess I've come to a place that like I don't it doesn't matter to me that much. And I don't mean that in the sense I don't care, but like, I don't, has anyone read The Life of Pi or seen that movie? So my favorite thing, like, I'm totally gonna spoil it. I'm just gonna say that right now. <laughs> it's important though. <laughs> but he tells this whole story and then he tells a second story and then they say, which story is true? And he said like, in both stories, you get the information you need. And he was like, but which is the better story? And then they say the one with the tiger and he says, so it goes with God. And so to me, I guess like, I'm not trying to skirt your question, but I'm trying to say like, it's kind of become less important because I think whether it's true or not, how, what do I learn about the character of God in those stories? And that's me getting the information I need without needing to know if it's literal or not. Yeah, I think it's a, a wonderful thing. So I, I take the question at its core to be like an uh, inerrancy of scripture question, mm -hmm. right? Like, what do we believe to be true about the Bible? Uh, and I don't know if you jacked this quote from someone else, but I thought it, it was wonderful. Uh, but Emily and I were talking one time and she quoted someone saying like, would you ever ask if like a symphony is inerrant? 
And they'll be like, no, it's beautiful, right? Like it, it's, it's moving me, it touches me. And so for me, the overarching 30,000 foot answer is like when I read the creation story, like I hear a story about a God that cared so much that God created creation, right? And that there was a relationship there. And also there are some things that God's creation did that kind of pushed away from that. And like it, it begins a story of love, relationship, and eventual pursuit of God's creation. And so, um, and then like the flood and those things, like I, I personally, from my take, and I'm like always been really gray. This is one of the areas that we don't always like, Emily's really black and white. And I, or was at one point really black and white. Uh, I, I've always really embraced the gray. And so for me, I've never needed any of those stories to be true. Mm. What I think is an interesting question to ask is like, why, if that story is literal, why does it cause tension in me or why do I find it to be valuable? And if it's not literal, why do I enjoy it or why does it cause tension? Because I think that at the core, I find to be the more interesting question. Like, like why do I need Adam and Eve to be real? Or why do I want it to be a poem? Like, why do I believe mm -hmm. in a seven day creation? Or why do I believe that it was a, a larger system than that, right? And so I think, for me, I've always tried to ask myself those questions. I'm not hiding anything from anyone. I don't believe the creation story to be literal. So I, yeah. I don't need you guys to, to side with me or not side with me on that. I don't need it to be literal. I don't necessarily believe it to be literal. Um, but I also know that if I look into the Hebrew text, it's generally written in a pretty poetic way. Uh, and so it falls much closer into poetic literature than it does into historical literature. And so when I look at that, I'm like, that's interesting. But it also doesn't change how I read the right. story uh, and why I see it to be valuable. I'll say my wife, who I love dearly, she needs it to be literal. And, and so like when we wrestle, I, I, our relationship is really interesting because we come at stories very differently. Mm -hmm. She was Emily's high school teacher at this Presbyterian school. And so like <laughs> my wife is like deeply Presbyterian, uh, which comes with a lot of different things. Inerrancy of scripture at a high value mm -hmm. is a big deal on that. Um, and so like for us though, it's like what I have found really interesting is we, uh, we found, and this is not answering your question exactly, but it's an offshoot of it. Like we found so much more joy. I remember my wife and I went on a walk and we're like, what if we just talked about like everything rooted in the core of who Jesus is and why he matters mm -hmm. and always point back to that? Cause that we can agree on. Um, and so like my wife and I found a lot of joy, like and we also, my wife would, she, I'm an eight on the Enneagram. If you know the Enneagram, she is not that. And so like I dig on some conflict and she's like, please never again. Um, <laughs> and so like we engage, engage those conversations differently. So I don't know if that answered your question, but hopefully it was helpful. Can I say one more thing? I'm Probably sorry not, to like so. keep going on this question, but I, I like wrestled with that exact question for a really long time. And I remember I asked um, this lady who I knew who was like a devout Christian and also a biology professor. And so I was like, oh, my God, like, what do you think about evolution? Like, do you, are you a young earth creationist? Are you an old earth creationist? Like all that. And she said, she, she goes, Emily, that like Genesis, like Genesis was written by Moses when the Israelites were um, like in the desert waiting and they needed to know what was true about God. They did not care. <laughs> like, is evolution real? Is did God create the world in seven days? Like they needed a reminder of who God was. And when I think about the original purpose, it also helps me maybe like point to, oh, like what is the point of Genesis? And it isn't, it isn't a science textbook. Like it is, that's yeah. not the point is who God is. That's the last thing I said. I'm curious if you 
as, as you guys raise kids and are so maybe different in some of this interpretation, how does that play out? Is that fair to ask? It's so fair to ask. The question will get even more nuanced than you thought it was going to be. Uh, so this is, so I'm also divorced and my ex-wife is deeply irreligious. And so I have my irreligious ex-wife who my kids are with 50, two of my kids are with 50% of the time. My wife who is not a fundamental, but she's like more conservative in some of her beliefs and then myself uh, who's just like a hippie dippy progressive, right? So, uh, which is not my, I don't think that's really true about me. But uh, I will, that's a good question. So I will never, I don't force my kids to go to church, right? Um, but we always talk about like our beliefs on the core and we let our kids, and I mean, my kids are nine, seven, and two. And so uh, they're not diving into a lot of like stuff on eschatology <laughs> and, and that kind of stuff. But, um, but we try to provide them with enough resources to be like, this is why we believe what we believe. Um, this is where we disagree. And this is where I think it connects to this deconstruction conversation is like, I think if I'm hyper prescriptive uh, and I tell them I know everything, like I don't know everything. Like I've been wrong about more things than I've been right mm -hmm. about, um, both in life, faith, marriage and, and parenting and everything, right? And so I think, again, we have some family values of like curiosity. Um, we have some family values of um, humility and respect. And so like we'll always openly share the things we believe um, I want my kids deeply to fall in love with Jesus the same way I did. Uh, but, uh, and we would, I mean, like, I think a relationship of true love can't be forced both in anything. Uh, it's, uh, Emily and I had a, a debate about this. Really today. Um, but, uh, I, so I wouldn't, I can't force them. So I don't know like, if that answers that super well, but like, we want to create an ecosystem of that, but we also like try to surround them with friends that show them what the love of Christ looks like. Um, every Christian I grew up with was a hypocritical, like mean, judgmental person. And so I like had to deconstruct a lot of those things because I, everything I knew to be true about every good Christian leader, I had my mm. biggest mentor like five years ago, just his life imploded because we found out it was like a web of manipulation and lies. Right. And so I'd rather lead with so much more openness and authenticity and honesty so that I don't have to do the work later when my kids find out that I kind of suck in some ways, right? And they're like, I don't have everything right. Mm. And so I try to be as open and honest as I can, so. Yeah. Any other questions? Yeah. Hi, so Hi. I'm thinking about um, like what starts somebody on a deconstruction journey? Mm. Like what sort of initiates that as a catalyst? Um, I'm also a young Methodist pastor. Okay. And so um, those that I have sort of uh, seen maybe begin this journey, a lot of times it seems to be triggered by grief or like a traumatic event that they either experience personally or that happens in the community and they realize like, shit, all these things that I think about God, like something, something has shifted in me and this doesn't feel right anymore. Um, so I guess my question is like, what role have you seen grief uh, play in the deconstruction so I think you'll have a longer answer, so I'll go first. Okay. <laughs> uh, so I would say it's 100% tied to it. Like I, when we started, when I started The Well, uh, like 15 months ago, when I, we started this podcast 40 weeks ago, the number of pastors that I've had reach out to me that have had a catalytic moment of grief that have never been able to talk about it, but have deconstructed behind closed doors is 
innumerable. It's like so many people and it blows my mind, not because they're doing it because they don't feel like they have anyone to talk to. Emily is a rare breed in that she's like, I'm not just going to process this on my own, but I'm going to process it with hundreds of listeners every week, uh, <laughs> which I think is really fun. But like Something. a lot of people's stories start in grief as a catalyst to it becoming public from my perspective. But I think the chips were always crumbling behind closed Ooh. doors. And that's been a common mm. thread I've seen is like the the lack of belief for the questions were there. But mm. the 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 moment like a leader failing or a divorce or a breakup or a loved one dying gave them permission at a level they never saw to ask more questions mm. they weren't in, they didn't think they were allowed to ask. So from my perspective, grief is the ultimate catalyst or like hard times are the ultimate catalyst. I think the big, but that's, I think, a symptom to the disease that is our church cultures haven't created mm. places for people to process the pain and the questions they have well before a traumatic life event happens. I freaking love that. Not trying to like Thanks. pat your ego, but uh, <laughs> um, yeah, I want to say first, and I totally like don't think you were saying this, but I do think it's important to name is like something starting in grief or something starting in a traumatic event doesn't make it any less valid. Like, I think that my friend said that a while back and I just, it stuck with me because sometimes people will be like, well, you just did this like because you got hurt. And I'm just like, okay, like maybe that's true. That doesn't mean the journey isn't real or is not a real reason. And so I just, I do think that that's important to say. Um, but I would agree with you. Like, I think grief's an interesting word that I definitely, we have, an, we have a podcast episode that we talked about the five stages of grief, like in deconstruction um shameless plug I guess <laughs> but, um but like I think I mean I definitely think it's catalyzed with hard times and I love what you said that there's like there's things <laughs> there's things already crumbling that hard times like show but I think for me personally there were multiple things that were catalysts some of them were like definitely hurt from the church and from pastors like a moral failing from a pastor like that was part of it and, but also part of it, and I'm not, this is not everyone's experience, but like I dated someone in a different denomination, which sounds like not a big deal, but it was a huge deal as like the super Presbyterian that I was. <coughs> Sorry. And I like realized it was a moment for me where I realized someone could take the Bible another way and still be really trying to pursue truth. And that was like, that blew my mind. And so I would say like, for me personally, there were several catalysts at the same time, but grief in hard times is definitely a part of it. And I'm, I'm not sure I would say grief started my journey, but grief has absolutely been deeply tied to my journey because as you pull Jenga blocks out, like it's different in Jenga and that those blocks meant a lot to you. And when you pull it out, it's like sad. And yeah. so like grief has been deeply tied to my journey. I'm not 100% sure I would say like grief was the main catalyst but yeah I don't know if that answers your question but yeah I'm gonna go this is like real pastor of me uh like might make this into a sermon sometime but I think like the the proclamation of the gospel began with grief too like Mary like was in huge grief before she went and shared the gospel with other people right like there was all the disciples like they were there was so much sadness and grief mm. and they also in deconstructing what they assumed to be true about Jesus, that he was going to be a triumphant militaristic leader to embrace a much more subversive gospel. And so I think like, I, and this is why like, I, I, 
uh, this podcast isn't to convert or win Emily over, but the reason I love deconstruction is because I think the process leads us to see the truest version of the gospel as we strip away all the trappings Absolutely. of what we have been told the church has to be. And again, like I'm its biggest proponent and proprietor, right? I, I pastor a church, but I think grief is what began like some of the biggest transformations of like the heroes mm-hmm. of the faith, which mm-hmm. I think is really interesting. So um, I also want to be like cognizant of our time. I don't like want to keep you guys here forever, um, but I'll, we'll, I will take, what's that? Yeah, 15 more questions, he said. No. Um, um, so, like, anyone, like, we'll take any more before we kind of wrap up. Does anyone have any, like, anything else, like, pointed or general or, or anything like that? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Hi. Hi. I'm actually interested in your college experience because I know you said, like, you know, you go hyper religion to. Party, and I have to say, I think that causes a big divide, like on campus. And I was mm. wondering, like, can you be a middle? Because, like, I know sometimes people feel judged if they do go out and then go to church. And like, morning, what do you say about you know, kind of the middle ground? Phenomenal question. Um, I'm gonna start with a little bit of a story. <laughs> I I can't believe I'm telling this story, but we're here. <laughs> Some, so I was on leadership with my campus ministry classic, and um, and I, my friend and I on leadership were like, we want to get super drunk. We've never gotten super drunk, and so we hung out with we hung out with some other like campus ministry leaders, and apparently they thought we were joking, but we were not joking. So we got sloshed. I mean, I'm just gonna be real. <laughs> Yeah, it was my first time getting like super drunk and it was like I felt like it was a safe environment safe people like it was like partying I guess but it was like with people with religious people that I trusted because my, my campus ministry was definitely well my denomination was pretty chill about alcohol anyway so I made a lot of people super mad that night because they thought I was joking and I was like I said I was gonna get slogged it's like <laughs> I was up front. You guys didn't believe me. That's kind of on you. Whatever. But then, uh, then like, the our campus pastor was, like, so mad. He was like, I can't believe that you would do that. Like, that's not leadership. Like, that's not being a good leader and, like, all that. And what, I don't know, whatever. Whatever your thoughts are on that. But I would say, like, I tried to do the middle ground. And this is just my story particularly. Like, I tried to be, like, with my religious bros also – drinking and then it just blew up like it was so dramatic and it didn't need to be like they're like i was just so hurt that you got drunk and i was like i wasn't like pouring it down your throat like i got drunk like anyway i, I probably still need to process through this it was really frustrating but then and then the new pastor came in and just like banned alcohol from leadership after that it was intense so i get and not that it's all about alcohol but i would say I would say like I tried the middle ground and I I want that to be a thing and I hope that can be a thing because absolutely like even if you party to a point where you feel guilty or feel like oh I like feel convicted and feel like I shouldn't have done this like that absolutely should never ever negate like your ability to to be in church like that is a place where you are, are there to process and ponder and just like be with God and like nothing Nothing that you do ever withholds God's presence from you. 
And so that should never be a bar. But I also get that sometimes it feels that way. And so I guess my answer is, I think that there is a middle ground or I really think that there should be, but it is difficult. And if you don't, if you don't hit the balance quite right, part of you is just like, well, let me just go to like the other side because then at least no one's mad at me, you know? So I don't know if that answers your question. Yeah, super good answer. <laughs> um, uh, so I would say uh, uh, in... Did they name it the Emily Zell rule after you couldn't drink? Like, just... I wasn't the only one that got <laughs> no, drunk that I'm night. Just okay. So what <laughs> I would say is an interesting the 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 Christian university and whether it's a Christian university or not, but the college Christian bubble is the only place that's a real question. And I'll be Ooh. kind of honest with you. Uh, like, I, and this comes from the guy that pastors a church that meets in a brewery, and my congregation all shares beers and pizza afterwards. Um, and so it's not like people are doing. Uh, Emily's L keg stands after church, but like we're uh, it's fun. Uh, and so I think like there's no other place in life where people are like, well, can you can you? Because you're not necessarily saying can you drink or whatever, but yeah. like like I like my small group at church, we know how to get down. Like we have fun, um, and it's like no. But I don't have anyone else in my life. Like my neighbors are like Danny. Did you think about like your witness? They're like, like, oh, you like, you're just a normal human. And I think there is something to be said about like moderation is smart, like making wise decisions. Yeah. I do think like considering like this is one of my least favorite parts about being a pastor is I'm on all the time, right? And so I like I know that like there are people that view me and like if I'm doing something, I'm like, well, Danny's like really let it go, right? Like so I think there's some things in that regard that take wisdom, but I think like understanding that it's probably more about the person that's casting the judgment than it mm. is about you. Mm. And I think if you're thinking like, are the decisions I'm making ones that are out of wisdom, it's, it's far different. I would say Emily is a great cautionary tale of what not to do. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I was like, what the heck? <laughs> you know me well. Can I, can I say, like, you, we've done shots together. <laughs> you can say that. Like, you did say like, that. But, like, I have never felt more pastored in that moment. Pickle shots at Crow's Nest. Do you oh, remember yeah. that? That was the best. You yeah. came to my comedy show, and then we did shots after. But, like, when I... I'm sorry. But, but I say that... I actually say that so seriously because Paul says, like... I quoted this earlier today. Like, Paul says, I've become all things to all people that I might win more of them. Like, the... Like, Jesus does that all the time as he enters into spaces that some people would say are not cool and you shouldn't enter in and that means you're a bad person in order to like be with people who need community and care. And I'm not saying that you were like, Emily needs some care, so I'm gonna do a shot with her. But, like, but I felt so pastored in that moment because you entered into my space and just joined me and you didn't sit there like a nerd and was like, you guys suck for drinking. Like, I'm sorry. Like, but that meant a lot to me. And so I do, I'm not saying you have to drink to be a Christian, like that's also not what I'm saying. But I'm saying that like, I do think that there's a point in which doing things that feel more like the world <laughs> is sometimes the most spiritual thing you can do. Yeah, last thing I'll say on this, I'll say, Tim, after this podcast goes live and I get, lose my job, if you guys are hiring, that'd be great. So, no. Um, uh, no, I think it's, I think there is like, that's kind of what I was saying about my small group too. Like, I think being yeah. with people in real life is important. Mm -hmm. um, and I think like figuring out like how, like, and I don't know if this was the, the root of your question, but like, how are we like walking with people that night? 
it was with pickle shots. But in other times, it was, it was a great night. So last question. Uh, I didn't see it going that direction. So, but I'm not a stand-up comedian. So final question. <laughs> They're like, after that, we're done. <laughs> <laughs> Congrats. Um, all right. Well, before we wrap up, so I just want to say, uh, A, this was like a lot of fun. Like yeah. for us, like I hope you guys enjoyed this in some degree, uh, if not all of it. I know that uh, between Dustin, and Emily and I, like our biggest joy in doing this is just like widening the conversation. And uh, as <laughs> I think as embarrassed as we can get about things we say or like, like part of this is like we want to put out a level of being like, we're trying to strip away a lot of like the like the false facade. And so mm -hmm. like I said earlier, like my Christian upbringing was all hypocritical. Like I might have really enjoyed like having like more candid conversation of mm -hmm. getting and I'm not any of your guys' pastor. So you guys like I'm just another person that you might not ever talk to again. But I will say like people in my life I would have really enjoyed like being like, hey, like they're actually a real person, right? And yeah. I think for us in our faith, like that's one of the things that we want to project. And I think my encouragement um, to all of you, like whether you're deconstructing, whether you're like rock solid or whether you've like never engaged faith, I think like authenticity and vulnerability and honesty, um, curiosity and humility, all of those things are like important pillars to like being a holistic person and kind of building something that will last in like whatever phase of life that is. Yeah. And I just, I also just want to like, I fully agree with everything you said, like, yeah, we can get embarrassed, but we're also just, I think we're trying to like lead with vulnerability as best we can. Um, but I do want to say also like the conversation doesn't have to end here. Like, I mean, there. we're doing pickle shots after. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> but uh, Tim's like, please no. Um, but I will say just like, I'm not trying to do like a plug or whatever, but like you can totally follow us on social media and ask questions on the pod and like, we're happy to continue to answer if you're like, oh, I wish I would have asked them that. Like people DM me sometimes. I'm always happy to have conversations just because for so long I felt so alone in my deconstruction. And so like it is so important to me, even though it is vulnerable to be public on my deconstruction, yeah. the amount of people that have told me that they felt less alone is like is worth all of the like hate that I've gotten. Um, and I also just want to end by saying like embrace the journey. Embrace the journey. Yeah. Thanks, guys. So I will say uh like just like as we built this like community, like it's much more than like a vanity project of doing a podcast together. Um, but we uh, like there is a community of people that we've been a part of and like we've built relationships with people at all these events and we really find value in it not ending in like a one hour thing. Yeah. Um, so please, like whether it's with Emily, myself or just like all of our stuff, like we would love to know what's going on in your journey. A lot of people send in like voice messages to the podcast mm -hmm. too that like we love because we hear what people are and we kind of try to like engage them in what we're doing. So just keep it posted. Like this is fun for us and want to keep knowing what's going on. So yeah. yeah. Thanks guys.